Welcome to Vino Week, episode 70. All right, welcome to Vino 101. I'm Bill. Hey, everybody, it's Al. We're ready to talk some wine. For sure. It's a little early to be drinking wine, but I am looking at a bottle, Bill. Well, what, what you're looking at? I'm looking at a bottle of Tantara uh, Deerberg Pinot Noir. It's a 2016. Let's see if you can. Can you see that label? I, I can't see the label. You have to bring it up a little. Oh, there we go. There you go. Yep. I can see it now. You've, I, I think, think you've had this one. I, I, had this one when you said Tentara, I was like, hmm, I think I've heard of that before. Oh, oh, you haven't had it. Okay, well, it's down from, uh, it's in the Santa Maria um, Valley. You know, it's uh, going down in SoCal, in that area. So, um, it's uh, one of the things that I'm learning, um, well, I guess we'll just dive into it. There's the, the, um, the one article I sent you um, about uh, your palate changing. Palate changing, yes. Yeah, I forget the authors. I know uh, Dorothy Gator and uh, John, what's his last name? Breacher. Yeah. yeah. They, um, the great they've been, uh, they were, they've been in the wine world for forever. And they actually had a column with the New York uh, New York Times for uh, quite a bit, quite a while. But I think they're just, uh, they're in the golden years now, so they're not doing that. But they still write about, they have a blog, and they did a post about how their palate changes. And um, you were commenting earlier, because we did have, have a quick, quick brief talk before we started recording. You were saying that it seems like it was more of a lifestyle uh, change for them. Yeah, they had mentioned that, you know, they... It, it, they that that part of the article started where they were talking about how they, you know, kind of navigated away from Amarone. They they came back to it and you know they navigating away from it for one reason that it was you know heavy alcohol, and then and then he and then he said well yeah but that's not necessarily true because they were trying California Syrah and Cabernet there were 14.9 and 14.8 etc you know some of the Amarone was much less than that and then you know he said something around well maybe it was just a lot of lifestyle change you know getting older going to bed earlier um, that kind of stuff not drinking is not eating as late drinking as late yeah and, and I think that's I, I would have to agree with that I mean I was I was thinking about how you know what I drink has changed and I can say with certainty that I definitely drink a lot less Cabernet, especially like Cabernet Sauvignon from, say, Napa Valley. Now, part of the reason is the price point. I mean, because, you know, decent Cabernet these days is 50 bucks and up. So that's that's part of the reason. But also, the alcohol in those wines is high. And then the main thing with, like, California Cabernet from Napa it almost seems to me sometimes like it's a caricature of a wine. They're so super ripe and they're so concentrated that I just don't like that style. I don't like that style of wine no matter where it comes from. And a, a few years ago, um, several years ago, that's the type of, that's the style of wine that was coming from South uh, Australia also. These really big, um, super concentrated, high flavor, uh, very tannic wines. And uh, I just, I've gone off on that style. I like, um, I, I prefer, if I'm drinking red anyway, I prefer um, uh, softer, um, less tannic wines. If I had to use two words, <laughs> those are the two words I would use. So I've been drinking, you're gonna find this amazing, I've been drinking a lot more Pinot Noir which I could say probably seven, eight, ten years ago, wasn't really a big Pinot Noir fan, but I'm more of a Pinot fan now, um, just because of that. You know, the, the wines, they go so much better with the food that you're having at the table than having some big monster um, Cabernet or Zinfandel or Syrah. They just, they just pair better. What are your thoughts? I, you know, I've been a... It's funny, you know, I would say it's similar for me. I would say probably, you know, Zinfandel was one of the wines that 
I first started to know varietals that I started to notice. Um, you know, primarily probably because of the price point, and then you know, some of it has to do with what I was eating. You know, the diet. So you know, barbecue, barbecue, and and things that go good with with in are things that. <clears throat> um, you know, I had no knowledge of what I, you know, kind of what I have now. So, but with Pinot, what I found, especially when I moved to this area, you know, it you're kind of surrounded by it. So you just notice it more, you know, being in Russian River Valley. And then it's a pretty, I mean, it's an accessible wine. So, yeah. you know, you want to bring, and, and, you know, you can find, you, certainly at that time, you know, you could find really good Pinot for, you know, super value around here. Um, I remember Dutton, you know, Dutton before they were, you know, it's double or triple what we used to pay for it now. Uh, Russian River Vineyards. Um, I, it, uh, I, you know, could probably prattle on and think of other producers, but the price point wasn't that, that, um, that expensive. And at that time, you know, it's kind of, you know, I don't want to, smaller producers paying attention to the fruit and the product and you have really really good wine at a super price point and then it's completely drinkable regardless of who's at the table and then it kind of Pinot kind of pairs with everything um you know there's just not a lot of stuff that Pinot doesn't work with at least that's what I found I'm sure and I'm sure there's people who will say that that's not necessarily true but that's what I found and yeah it's just a and then the last thing is my wife loves Pinot so, you know, MB, MB, like, you know, you put Pinot in front of us, we're going to drink it and enjoy it. And then, you know, we found producers around here and some of, some of which have become friends. So that makes it easy. Well, there is that. If, uh, if, if your spouse, uh, uh likes that wine, you're going to tend to, you could tend to drink that. Mine's a little bit, it's a little bit of a touchy subject because, um, my wife is really not a Pinot, Pinot fan. She she enjoys a more fuller bodied um, a red. That's interesting. So a lot of times, um, you know, I'm walking a tightrope with going with the softer, uh, the softer wines. What I have found is that she does um, she does enjoy um, uh, Chianti, uh, Chianti Classico a lot, and and you know it's kind of like it's it's at the cross section. It's not Pinot Noir, but you still get that red fruit, cherry, but you get the little sour, uh, the sour cherry part that I like. And then you also get, depending on the producer, you can get some, some pretty decent tannins out of it. So it kind of works for kind of that, that wine is kind of a, 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 a center point between the two for us. <clears throat> That's interesting. Well, and the other thing I'll say about that, at least in your case, is you have a fair amount of knowledge about Italian wine. Where, as a lot of people <clears throat> in the U.S. at least, you know, especially if you're new to wine, may pick up a bottle of Chianti, but it, you know, it could be a, from a larger producer, <clears throat> and not necessarily, you know, what you go shop for is going to be much different than somebody walking into a supermarket, for example, or even a wine shop, and just picking something off of the shelf, and it it may not be what they, you know. It may turn them off, quite frankly. Um, yeah, it could, depending on, you know, you know yeah, really touch, a, you got to find your producer, that's for sure. Yep. You know, I went to, uh, I went to a, a, a party recently, you know, we're finally getting out a little bit more. I mean, we're, we're a little bit slower on the uptake than most people, but we actually went to an event. Um, there was probably, I'd say 25, eh, maybe 30 people there. And it was in, it was over in Napa, it was in the guy's backyard. This guy was, his, um, his setup that he had was incredible. Yeah. Turns out he's a master gardener. So he had this garden, just outrageous. Yeah, probably ridiculous. But one of the things that I, uh, I felt good about, because uh, this year I failed miserably with my tomatoes. And he said that everybody in this area failed miserably with tomatoes. It was just a season. It was just what it was. Just wasn't a good tomato crop this year, but uh, so I, I felt okay there. But the one thing that he had was he had a pizza oven. Oh, and you know I'm still that's still on my radar for putting yeah. a pizza oven in the backyard. So, but uh, his pizzas were fantastic. He had uh, he had perfected it. It was pretty good. But getting to the wine, 
there was a gentleman that was there that brought a wine that was really unusual that most people wouldn't recognize. He bought a Sagrantino. Sagrantino's grown in Umbria, which is um, the only landlocked um, province in Italy, and uh, it's usually it's a, it's a it's a it's a pretty beefy wine. It's pretty burly, um, high tannins, um, you know, uh, deep uh, deep black black fruit, and um, it was uh, I think it was a Gavarini, I want to say, but he he remarked he says a lot of people don't know Sagrantino. And I looked around the table and I was looking at people's, um, I was trying to judge people's um, reactions. And he was right. <laughs> a lot of people don't. Because people are just kind of like, just, you know, they were in the moment. You know, we're all just kind of just hanging out. And, you know, you could just drink whatever you want because there's all kinds of wines. There was a group of Italians. So it was wine galore. But um, my story is that I took a bottle of uh, well aged French Corte. And I opened it up, and the host recognized what it was because he was the wine guy. But nobody else really did. I put it on the table, and everyone is really into drinking red wine. So we basically just between me and the two chefs that were there, we we enjoyed the Frangicorta. You know, it's interesting that whole thing of what people drink and their taste because it wasn't it wasn't a hot day, but it was you know it was it was warm enough. Yeah. And, the one thing that I notice is I drink wines, um, you know, wine to me is refreshing. So I drink it according to the weather. So a few weeks ago, um, we had, it was 110 for like five days. Yeah, it was a little hot. It was really hot here. And um, I tell you what, Bill, I, I don't think I drank a bottle of red wine for a week. <laughs> it was all white wines. Yeah. You know, I'm lucky that I have a, a, a good collection of German wines. So, you know, we drank a lot of German wines. We drank some, uh, we drank a little Chardonnay. We drank some Pinot Gris. We drank Suave. We just, we just drank uh, white wines the whole time. And uh, it was good. It was, uh, it was good. But uh, I guess getting back to your palate changing everything, that's a lifestyle thing, too. I drink with the seasons. So I drink more... Um, I would drink Amarone, I would drink uh, Cabernet. I would tend to go for those bottles when the weather's a little colder outside. That's true. Yeah. And you know, if you go around here these days, um, off of 12 and you go wine tasting, all of the, because of the COVID, everyone has, even though the COVID has waned, hopefully it's gone, who knows. It's over. But, President Biden said so. Biden said it was over, I know. It's an easy joke to make. I love when the presidents speak and they put their feet in their mouths and then yeah, the press, the press secretary has to come out and unravel it all every we, day. We all like to have, you know, we all enjoy people having a gaffe every now and then. That's fine. It's like Al Gore saying he invented the internet back in the day, you know. You know, it's, I don't know, who's that guy from Texas who said the internet's made up a series of tubes? <laughs> no, he was from Texas. I think he's Alaska maybe. But uh, Ted Stevens, that guy name. Anyway, it's just stuff from off the top of my head. Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted. <laughs> That's okay. So, but if you go out here and you go wine tasting, everybody has their um, they, they're set up to entertain outside, which is all good and fine. But hey, man, if it's 110 outside, I'm not one to drink any Zinfandel or Cabernet. It's so <laughs> funny you said that. Outside. It, it's so I'm funny you said that. Yeah, I, I, it's so funny you said that because I do re- remember thinking, like, who in the hell wants to go wine tasting today? You know, yeah. it's going to be like 105. I'm like, yeah. ugh. You know, <laughs> slurping down, you know, Cabernet at 105, not my idea of a good time, especially if it was outside. Can you imagine if it's outside? They yeah, are. That's what I'm saying. Good. They are I, outside. I just, Everything's outside know. now. There's very few places that are all of those um, those tasting rooms that were uh, you know set up inside. They're just basically you know they just store wine there. They're they're not people aren't tasting in those. You know you're not belling up to the bar and air conditioning anymore. See the iron horse iron horse folks were way ahead of their time. Yeah, they used to be out there on deck. Yeah. Yeah, of course, it's a lot cooler there, you know. Yeah, it's I mean, much cooler. And, and the vista. I mean, you want to be looking down that valley anyway, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
That's part of the experience. So um, I don't know if uh, the, the I, I don't, did we tell the folks of my my little adventure? Well, we we alluded to it the last time we recorded. Unfortunately, we did not get our act together and publish that recording. Um, so I don't think anyone knows that you're moonlighting. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am currently moonlighting at a, a winery that, that still should be, you know what it is, but I'm going to just, I'll keep it under wraps for now, because I didn't really tell them. I mean, I'm sure they know that, that I have a podcast and a presence on the internet, but they haven't said anything and I haven't said anything, so we'll just... You'd be, surpri- you'd be surprised at how many people don't know, and you know, your face isn't out there necessarily. Oh, that's so, true. That's you know, true. So, you know, somebody's got to recognize your voice. First of all, somebody's got to find it. Yep. Yeah. You know, and then somebody's got to recognize your voice. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, yeah so I, 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 um, I wanted to learn how to make uh, artisan Pinot Noir. So I was fortunate enough to, you know, through some connections here in, in the Valley. And, you know, actually, I'll, I'll say this again. I think we've said this before. Anyone that wants to intern at... Um, a winery or is interested in getting into the wine business now is probably one of the best times to do it because oh yeah there's they're starving for people labor yeah i mean literally yeah. starving for people i mean we had a crew this is a small winery so it was a crew of a total crew of 10 people and um what is it three four they hired on six people so there's the crew is through the year is just four people that run it. You got the winemaker, uh, the winemaker's assistant, and then the two guys in the cellar. So they hired on six other people to get them through bringing in the grapes and processing everything. Learned a lot. Learned how to make Pinot Noir. I already knew. I was telling Bill earlier. I already knew how to make all the other other wines, but I never had really learned how to make uh, artisan Pinot Noir. But the recipe basically is uh, get high quality fruit that's what don't was, muck it up that's, that's <laughs> when we were talking earlier i was i was starting to snark around well geez it's pinot it's just got to get good fruit and like don't mess it you like don't mess with the pro- basic process you'll be fine yeah yeah but and it's not it's not that easy you said something very interesting which i thought you know it's worth repeating here about the the fruit itself well, the fruit does need to be handled a little bit more gently, and I think that's the key. Um, you know, 30 years ago, everyone handled the red grapes the same way. It all went through a stemmer crusher. Um, you know, it all went into the tank. They did the pump overs for the Cabernet and the Pinot Noir the same way. They just hooked up a hose at the bottom of the tank and then, you know, rolled it over the top. It's much, much, much more gentle now. Um, this particular winery, they only use air pumps. Um, a lot of the winemaking is done by gravity. Um, and what I mean by gravity, like when they're actually initially putting the fruit in the fermenters, you know, it's lifted up by a forklift, it's gently dumped into the tank. Um, they use a bunch of different um, vessels for it. They've got um, stainless steel fermenters, they have concrete fermenters, uh, they have wood tank fermenters, kind of a blend of everything. And, uh, you know, every process with with actually handling the fruit is, um, it's, it's, it's extremely intentional and it's extremely gentle uh, and short. The punch downs are really short, just 10 minutes um, and also just twice a day. And in a in a in a Cabernet, for example, what would the punch down be? Um, depending on the style of Cabernet you wanted to make, um, it could be uh, well. For one, the punch down, um, the punch downs, or or well, you would well for one, you would do more pump overs with Cabernet. There's a difference between the two. Is a punch down is you have a, a, a some type of mechanism at the top of the tank. And you actually, what happens is when the wine begins to ferment, it makes, there's basically three byproducts. There's carbon dioxide, there's heat, and there's alcohol. That's what comes out of the process. And the main thing is the carbon dioxide 
it catches the skins and it gets trapped in them and the cap, it's called a cap, it raises the chapeau, it raises to the top. So you want to get the extraction of color from those skins and you're not going to get that if all the skins are at the top, near the top of the tank. So the chapeau is a big, big, all of the grape skins rise to the top and cover it if you haven't yep. seen it before. Um, so what you want to do is you want to punch down that cap and you use some type of instrument a tool to physically put that cap back down in the juice and that's how you get the color because if you squeeze a grape, most grapes, if you squeeze the juice out, it's clear. It's not even... Yeah, take a grape and squeeze, take a red grape if you can find one and you want to try this and squeeze it and you'll see. Yeah. It's pretty... It's it's counterintuitive to some degree. Yeah. So but you'll you'll get color out of that wine without macerating the skins and punching down, but you'll get a much lighter color. So yeah, winemaker's looking for yeah. a certain type of color. Yeah. So that's a punch down. A pump over is where, as that cap is raised to the top, the bottom of the tank is full of juice. So you hook up a hose at the bottom and you pump it over circulate that juice back over the top of the um, on the top of the skins or the cap and the main difference between Pinot Noir and what I know from Cabernet, Syrah, Zinfandel is it's a little bit more violent um, and and the pump overs are um, they're more frequent and they're a little bit longer so the pump overs in this case I mean, super gentle, almost just like sprinkling the wine over the cap versus with the, <laughs> with the Cabernet, you know, you got a big two and a half inch hose and you're, you're just blasting it you know, yep. everywhere. Yep. You, know, you really want to get that color. You're, you're trying to extract that tannin from the, from the skins and the stems and all that stuff. So it's, it's much more violent. I know that even at some of the... Um, some of the super high-end producers, it's almost like a, it's like a gentle soak. They just kind of just gently sprinkle the, the wine over it, you know. So everyone's got different styles. But that's the main difference is it's just handled much more, it's just handled much more carefully. And then as far as um, the barreling down, which is once the wine is fermented, once the Pinot is fermented, um, the cap falls to the bottom of the tank because there's no more carbon dioxide to, to give it that point. It's not producing any of the byproduct, the gas. It's all the way down to the bottom. So you open up a valve at the bottom, you drain all the juice out. And then you dig out the skins that are at the bottom of the tank, and you take them over, and you put them in a press, and you press the skins. So once that's done, it rolls all back to a tank. You put it in a tank, you let it sit for a day or so, and then all the rough sediment that's in there it falls to the bottom of the tank. And then you do, there's a process that's called racking. What you do is you rack all of that clean juice off of those leaves. So at the bottom of the tank for the Pinot Noir, you'll have, uh, you know, depending on how large the tank is, you could have an inch, a couple inches of, it's called leaves. And it's it's just basically uh, dead yeast cells, cells and stems. And it's just it's all kinds it's of- all the byproducts. of the winemaking process. Yeah. And they don't really want to use that, so they take all the clean wine off of that, and the lees is usually sold off to to be um, to a distiller or something. And at that point, that wine goes into a barrel, and that's it. And that's where your tickets to Hawaii. <laughs> yep. Because once it's in a barrel, you know, it's, that's, you know, you're gonna basically leave it alone. It's done. You're just gonna top it up, and you're gonna taste it, and you're gonna, you know, that's that's all you're gonna do at that point. Yeah. So th the main difference is, like I said before, and I know I'm repeating myself, is, is, is the way that the fruit is handled. I will say, I did learn, I, I did, one of the things that I really learned, you asked me this earlier, one of the things I really learned was how, and I, I already knew this, but man, farming is a pain. <laughs> I, I shouldn't laugh, but it's, it is a, uh, most of the population has no clue um, how challenging it is to produce to produce a, a product by growing it and then processing it. You yeah, know? I mean, 
I mean, farming, and that's everything from ranching and dealing with animals to, Mm -hmm. you know, growing grapes. And, you know, let's face it, grape farmers are, um, you know, they're in some degrees gentlemen farmers. I mean, they're not getting up milking cows every morning. Um, You know, you still got to get up at the crack of dawn and deal with your vineyards and, but it's a, it's a much, um, uh, you know, given the choice of being a dairy farmer or a grape farmer, I think it's pretty clear where I'm going to land, you know, not having to, you know, and, you know, worry about disease from an animal standpoint, but in the case of a, uh, of a, uh, you know, having a vineyard, you know, you've got to deal with pests you've got to make sure you harvest at the right time you got to make sure you get your water right you and then the big thing is you hope to hell the weather does what it's supposed to do yeah well that's what i was leading up to i mean i remember vividly sitting on the sitting on the fermentation pad and speaking with the um (laughs) speaking with the analogist and saying man this has been a fantastic weather cycle for this harvest. I mean, it's been freaking, and we had already gotten in some grapes already. I mean, we probably had like four or five tanks going and the grapes just look fantastic. The yield was a little, the yield for this year for Pinot Noir, it's a little low, but the grapes look great. And then we got that heat wave and they knew the heat wave was coming and the farmers knew the heat wave was coming. But here's the deal. Some people don't have the capacity or resources to get water on the ground fast enough. And if you could do that, you're going to be all right. The thing about Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir is a thin skinned grape. And those grapes that we saw after that heat wave look totally different than the ones that we saw before the heat wave. A little raisiny. A little raisiny. Man, unbelievable. I got pictures I'll show you. I mean, and, you know, you're trying to make wine, man, not raisin juice, right? That's <laughs> so right. It's just, I mean, those vineyards, some of those vineyards, especially in Russian River Valley, which is where they pulled a lot of their fruit, man, some of those, some of those grapes, they, they got hammered. Yeah. And then, you know, so that, you know, what does that mean in terms of your business is, well, you may not, you know, so low yield already in terms of what you're getting off your vineyard. And then... You know, if you don't get your fruit off the vine at the right time or it gets too hot and raisiny, you know, your production's just going down, which translates to how much money you're going to make for, the, for like, it's not just this year. You know, it's, it's subsequent years. Yeah, and um, if you're a farmer, you get paid by the yield. You get paid, by, paid the by the time. time. So if you get, you know, I mean, you're taking a significant hit if your grapes are drying up. Yeah, and it's not, and folks, it's not a lot of money per acre. Yeah. You know, we're not talking like tens of thousands of dollars here. It's thousands of dollars, um, even for high-end Pinot. Yeah, it's really, so, um, but I will say this, so the grapes from, you know, because you'll, you know, the the wine speak is, oh, you know, oh, great vintage, you know, yields a little low, but everything is, oh, that's great, you know. They have to say that, right? I mean, I get that. They got to say that. But um, it just depends on where you got your grape from. And the, the whole notion of where the grapes are grown just really came into focus even more for me. Because the grapes that came from uh, Santa Maria, um, Santa Lucia, all that stuff that came from um, down near the water, north of L.A., those grapes look fantastic. Really, really, really good. But uh, and then all the stuff from Oregon, which is still just—I mean, Oregon harvest just happening. They're still waiting for grapes from Oregon. Wow. So that stuff should look—it should look pretty good. But uh, yeah, if you're—I mean, if you're a Cabernet farmer, uh, if you're a Syrah farmer, if you're a Chardonnay farmer, and um, you did the—you know—as far as the. Um, your uh, your your leaf coverage if you did right you didn't you weren't too aggressive and you were able to get some water in the ground several days you know maybe three four days before that i mean there's a lot of people that still have cabernet out i was going to say the article we the other article that we have is talking about the harvest in napa valley and that it the article kind of starts out with 
you know, they're wrapping up the harvest. And it was written on the 29th of September. So yeah, and what, and what saved them was we had this ridiculous heat. And then as weird as it is, I mean, obviously you remember this. Then we had like a rain. We had a rain event. Yeah. And it rained. It, it rained. Like it, it was a it, significant it, rain. It, it wasn't, yeah. yeah, it wasn't like, you know, it misted one night. It rained. Yeah. So that helped out a lot of the um, farmers that are producing those more hardier varietals because it was almost like a refresher. It's like, all right, you know, they got the dust off the grapes. They got a little drink, you know, so they're allowed to leave them, leave them on the vines a little bit longer because, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon skin's a lot tougher than, say, you know, a, a Pinot Noir skin. So that was that was my takeaway is that uh, farming ain't easy. No, and it I you know I would say at least where you were, you know a lot of this is very much a it's it's a passion, you know versus you know obviously it's a business they want to try to make money but they're you know they're not I mean it's not a large winery in terms of you know when you think about the places in Central Valley and a lot of what people have exposure to. You know, where they're, you know, they're, I don't, you know, factory farming's maybe not the right word, but still just massive, massive farms with a lot of acreage. And, you know, these are, I assume, where you're working is smaller, you know, smaller growers and, you know, getting it from various, you know, uh, various people are really paying attention to what they're growing versus just a ginormous farm where they're just, pulling tonnage out of there and it's all going to one ginormous tank and they're blending it with whatever to make a pro make a wine product yeah, yeah this, this isn't uh, this, this isn't a franzia yeah franzia yeah. operation now it's, it's definitely yeah. super small i mean literally they have four people that work on the production side that's <laughs> pretty small how big is their can you say how big their production is what what range the range their production is do you know i should know i don't know i don't know if i had to guess i'd say I can't see them doing more than like 2,000 bottles. Yeah. It's a, I mean, 2,000 cases, excuse me. It's a, it's a small operation. Yeah. It's a, it's a really small operation, but it's, it's super, you know, the, the, the price point for their bottles is, you know, I don't know if you look, but it's one fifty and up a bottle. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know, I know Pinot producers that are in that range too, and they're doing things like hand selecting berries. Yeah, yeah, that was done. I didn't mention that, but yeah, all of that go. is it goes on a belt, a slow belt, and you know there's a group of people that are picking them out. You know, some lots are easier than others. Yeah, because I participate in that also. But think so, about that. You know, that's a lot of labor. Yeah, yeah. You know, going through, you know, fruits going by on a conveyor, and you're like, oh, bad. You know, leave that one. That looks good. Leave it. Um, well, they're looking at um, at this place. They're looking at getting a, a, an optical sorter, and the, the running joke was us, you know, because it didn't arrive in time. Is what happened because they were planning on having one, and the, the running joke was, I was like, man, that sorter is really quiet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, and do they have estate vineyards? Pardon me. Do they have estate vineyards? Estate yes. Vineyards? Yeah. yeah, they do, and the estate vineyards look really well. I can't tell you this that it's out. Um, the vineyard, it's out in a really well-established area, you know, as you're going out, um, as you're going out towards, uh, Gurnville, it's kind of so out on 116. So it's, it's in, I call it Pinot Heaven, which is, it's out there by, uh, Sara Lee and, uh, uh okay. Slusser Road out there. It's just, just, um, west of the airport. <laughs> La Crema. Yeah. Yeah. All the stuff out there. La Crema factory, the wine factory out there. Yep. Um, so. Um, I don't mean that. I, I'm, it's a, I mean that in the context it's large. Yeah, it's large. Although even, I will say even at La Crema, they do stuff. It's just, it's interesting. It's, they do, they make a lot of wine, but they still use that same formula of, you know, it's old, you know, they're not putting, uh, you know, they're using the old, um, they got open fermenters, um, Although a lot of their stuff is maybe a little bit more mechanized. I was going to say they're probably, 
you know, like the optical sorter, they might have one of those or multiple yeah, of those already. Um, you know, I was so busy, I didn't have a chance to really go to any wineries. Usually, I like I make the rounds, you know. <laughs> yeah. I go around and I see places, but since I was working, I didn't have I didn't have time to do that. And uh, you know, my territory's changed a little bit too, so that's not my real job. But that's uh, that's for another day. Well, what are you drinking? Uh, what am I drinking now? Yeah. Or what have I been, been drinking recently? Yeah, drinking recently. Not this very moment. <laughs> I'm not little, drinking anything right now. It's a little early. That's a good thing. You can say coffee. <laughs> well, you know, I try to take a picture of um, everything that I open up, and I'm terrible at it. I'm just not good at it. I never you're just, good at it. You're just but saying you're... you're um, but I'll tell you, I've been drinking. One of the things about making wine is that those friggin' harvest lunches, we're always drinking wine. Yeah. So I've been drinking. It's very lot. European. Yeah, yeah. So you're gonna have a little. You're gonna have a little libation with your. Uh, well, while I while I string through and um, get come up with some of the things I've been drinking, I want to ask you a question. Um, did you how would how did you guys fare through the little uh, the quake we had the little um, shake up? I have a good personal anecdote. So on on Tuesday nights, my youngest son has a drum lesson not far from Russian River Brewing Company. So I I volunteer often to take him to lessons because What I a great dad. <laughs> yes, sir. So I will drop him off and I'll go to Russian I'll go to to, to their downtown um, downtown Santa Rosa tasting you know, tasting room brewery primarily because they they there are things that they get at the you know there are things on tap there that you're not going to get anywhere else so mm -hmm. it's always a good place to go and it's a it's a it's always fun to go there because of the just because of what they've established anyway my son had just arrived and the earthquake happened so we fared fine I will tell you, my youngest son was the only person in the place that actually did what they were supposed to do, which was get underneath the table. He's supposed to get under the table. He yeah. got underneath the bar because <laughs> I was down having a pint. And there are, we had just ordered food. We were bringing some pizza home, and uh, that was the casualty. The, uh, um, the pizza box took a couple hits from pictures off the wall cover the cover couple of their medals fell off the wall onto our pizza box oh wow so and the next time i was in there i don't know it's two weeks after that or a week after that i can't remember they were showing me they were showing me the video of of the pizza box getting pummeled um <laughs> that it and and funny you know funny enough they were showing a few you know highlights of people doing just like you know you know, having a reaction to the earthquake that was overreaction. Let me say, that. just like fleeing, fleeing, running, leaving people they were with, and just like running for the doors. It was pretty funny. Yeah, you're you're not supposed to do that, but that's no, like. Not. I mean, that is like my first. I mean, I was even talking to my wife. I said, if there's an earthquake, you know, if I have time enough to react and think about, it, I'm running outside. Yeah. <laughs> But you're not. You're supposed to get under a table. Right? Yeah, That's my what you're yeah, supposed to do. My youngest son's looking at me. He's like, "Dad, get underneath the. Come on, get underneath the bar." <laughs> I was watching the wall of glass move. Yeah, for me, it's just like, "Hey, man, I'm experiencing an earthquake." That's exactly. Wow. That was exact. I'm like, "Oh, it's an earthquake." <laughs> but I will tell you, we weren't that far away from the epicenter, and it was. Uh, I don't know if you've been to the it's a natural history museum that's in. Um, Golden Gate Park. It's across from the D. Young Museum. And they have an earthquake simulator in there. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that it was the the real earthquake experience mapped to the simulator experience and how it, you know, they're different. Earthquakes happen differently and how they shake are different. And this was very much a crescendo. It started off kind of small and it kind of built and then it stopped. And then the interesting thing about this quake was you had that quake, and then I think it was less than a minute later, you had a second quake. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. that was yeah. almost yeah. almost if not higher i can't remember than the original I think it was a little lower on the on the scale yeah. but yeah. It, it was and short it was shorter also yeah and it was very it, it was very much what you would think of an aftershock but um I think what's interesting interesting about going to the the brewing company is you get a lot of people who are not from California or from out of the area. So there were definitely people in the in the um, you know in the in the pub at the time in the tasting room that were not from California. Gotcha. Yeah. And you could tell them because they did not know what was going on. Yeah, they were disoriented. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I would say, like I said, it's like a wonderment. It's like you know, I'm ex- I'm in the moment and I'm experiencing it, and I'm not even. I mean, I was in a spot where I, you know, I mean, I guess the roof could have fell on me, but I I have been in enough earthquakes to realize that this was a gentle, you know, just a hey, we're here type of thing. It wasn't the big event, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I you know I've it, it's so funny. So now I've had two experiences with earthquakes, both with each son of mine. Um, you know, we were kind of in the moment, like, oh, it's, hey, there's an earthquake going on. Um, but I, you know, the good thing about, the good thing about it, you know, all the, all the sort of, you know, joking aside about it, there really wasn't any damage, number one, no one got hurt. Um, and that's a good thing. Because, you know, like you said, the big event, it, you know, the roof will come down. It's not a matter of if it will come down. It's going to, something's going to, like, there's going to be major damage. Yeah, we'll have to, uh, at another time, maybe after this podcast, we can talk about earthquake insurance. I don't want to bore our uh, two listeners that we have, but we could talk about that. Because I, I do have some questions for you on that. Yeah, earthquake and fire. There you yeah, go. Yeah. So getting back to what have I what have I been drinking? Um, the first thing, you know, and this just bears out to what I said, but um, I can't even see the vintage on this thing. But I had a heart um, just recently, uh, a gold tropian cabinet from the Mosul. Back in the day, they used to call it Peace Porter because it came from the area of Peaceport. But uh, here's the, I don't know if you can even see that. Let me see. Uh, it's a li- it's a little washed out. I got yeah, yeah. it. But it's a it's a fan. That was a really really. We had that on one of the hot evenings, I believe. Um, and uh, man, there's nothing more refreshing than having a nice. Uh, re- it's almost like drinking like some um, uh, 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 slightly sweet rainwater. <laughs> I mean, this is what I want. It's just really really good. You know, nice uh, nice acidity, some good minerality to it. Not very, not we enjoyed very that. Um, recently, we had a, a Volliero, uh, V-O-L-I-E-R-O, Rosso di Montalcino in 2019. And um, I bought a six-pack of that without trying it because I'm familiar with the producer. And uh, boy, am I glad I bought a six-pack and I wish I'd bought a case. That is a fantastic bottle of Sangiovese. Really enjoyed that. I did a Chardonnay tasting. Um, where I paired a Deloach, an older Deloach Chardonnay against um, a Paso Robles uh, Chardonnay made by Russell Vineyards. And um, the Russell Vineyards blew away the Deloach. De- Deloach was, um, what was it? Can't believe, I don't remember the vintage. I should have. But one of the things I did want to talk to you about, and I wanted to ask you, I know you guys drink a lot of Pinot Noir. What's your experience with drinking aged Pinot Noir? Because I'll give you my thoughts. I'm discovering, because one of the things that's happened with the pandemic is a lot of these smaller producers, they've kind of lost their direct-to-consumer channel because people weren't able to visit the winery. So they're sitting on a lot of wine. And what I've noticed is there's a lot of Pinot Noir online from some pretty established, well-known, high-quality producers that's a little older, that they're just peddling at a good price. So I've been buying them. That's part of the reason I've been drinking a lot of Pinot Noir. Interesting. But one of the things that I've noticed is that I seem to prefer the Pinot Noir a little on the younger side versus the older side. So um, now, 
Pinot Noir, i.e. Burgundies. I don't feel that way. With with the, I can I can really appreciate older Burgundies um, a little bit more readily than I can the New World Pinot Noir. What What are your thoughts? I um, I find the same thing, and then my my thinking is is that the you know the Pinot made in the United States is made for the American consumer, and the the experience the the palate isn't as developed. Um, I think in, 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 and certainly the style is, you know, the styles are made a little differently. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think that it's just, it is a wine. And one of the first things I learned about Pinot is that it's not, it's not designed to age. Yeah. It's really, uh, and not that you design it in the context of, you know, some kind of chemistry experiment, but the way that the wine's made and it's bottled and it's, you know, cellared and sold and all that stuff, it's definitely a product that's made, you know, not lay down um, and age. And I, and I find that the Pinots that we have that are older are, um, you know, the first word that popped in my head are kind of flat. You know, they kind of lose some of the character of the wine. And I don't notice, like, as you said, in a burgundy or a cab that things happen in the bottle with those wines that add complexity to the wine um, and really enrich the overall tasting experience. Pinot just doesn't do that. And I don't know, you know, I don't know, you know, is that a a byproduct of this, you know, whole gentle, you know, it's the grape itself, maybe. You know, it obviously starts with the grape. So, you know, Pinot's a, a... a thin skin fruit that you have to be super gentle with. So, yeah, that's what I find. Yeah, and I wonder the last thing I sorry to interrupt. The last thing I should say: wine doesn't last very long around our house. So, (laughs) peanuts consumed. (laughs) Well, you know. So maybe I just don't know. Well, that that vibrancy and that and that um, that 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 fuller fruit flavor that you get with the you know with the younger Pinot Noir is very very uh, easy and uh, yeah it's 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 uh, it's it's fun and it's very enjoyable. I just think the word that you used, what was the word you said? Uh, flat. Yeah. The word that I what, what the word that I the adjective that I would use if I if you pin me down and said, you know. You know, what one adjective would you use to describe this wine in its youth versus now six or seven years later? And I would say, um, well, I would, I would use uh, a hyphenated word. I'd say washed out. That's good. Is, is the word I would use. And not in a negative tone. I would just say less youthful, less vibrant, just, yeah, it, you know. Yeah. And then in some points... Like with some of the wines that I've had, because I've had some seven and eight year old Pinot Noir, I would say in decline. And that's a that's a that's yep yep. And and out and I and I've heard other people who are you know sommeliers, people here on the radio that are in the business that you know review and discuss wine what you're saying I hear them say you know the wine is in decline it's not made to be on you know it's not made to be cellared and and stored it's made to be consumed and it also you know I don't you know I said earlier that it's it it it's designed for American consumer what I should say is the American consumer Pinot and the American consumer are a good match because the American consumer wants to walk out and get a good bottle of wine at a supermarket at a reasonable price. They're not, you know, let's face it, most people are not um, uh, oniophiles that are going to buy a wine and put it down. That's, it's a much smaller percentage of the market. So Pinot is a good wine in that context that you can, you know, you can make a Pinot, you can charge a reasonable price point for it over, you know, let's say a bulk wine. Um, it still has character. It's going to taste good in the glass. 
and it goes with a lot. It goes with a lot of food. So, you know, and it's easy to drink. So that's very much a match for the American consumer. Yeah, that, that whole thing of wine aging is is just always been, uh, you know, it, a lot of it. So much of it depends on the grape, and so much of it depends on on the producer. Oh, gee, the producer. I, mean, yeah. I had a uh, a nine year old um, Suave. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was made by uh, Felipe, and um, it's from the hills, very high up in the hills of, um, you know, the Suave region. It's up in, um, they call it uh, uh, Castelcherino, I believe is what it's called. Right. Yeah, Castelcherino, and it's, it's I mean, it's like a 4,000 foot elevation, it's way up there. But anyway, the wine was incredible. Incredibly good. And we're talking about a white wine that's that's nine years old, and it's it was beautiful. It's a beautiful color, nice golden um, uh, yellow hue. Um, it had a um, kind of a, a, a lilacs, kind of almost kind of. A, and this sounds like a, a, it had a, like a waxy kind of feel to it and the texture, but it was very vibrant. And, and and very alive, and that's nine-year-old white wine, dude. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. So, uh-oh, let me decline that. That hardly ever happens, man. I know. Who's, that's who's calling me at this time of day? <laughs> it's probably somebody wants a wine uh, with some wine deal they want to tell me about. But anyway, I, I did want to talk to you about that 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 aging of wines. And speaking of aging, here's another wine I had recently. I know you can see this bottle. It's Louis Shea. It's a Marsan. And it's a 2019. And uh, boy, if there's if I ever wished I had bought more of this, I would. I bought this wine. Um, I opened this wine up maybe like a month ago. And um, it's 100% Marsan. And it's aged nine months in the barrel. And when I opened it up and tasted it, I was like, not this tastes like gack, but this tastes like nothing. It had, it was like, literally it tasted like nothing. It's really just weird, just tastes like nothing. But I put it in the fridge and we had like a, a half a glass of it and I put it in the fridge and uh, I didn't put any air on it. I just put the cork in and I put it in the fridge and we had it like the next day. And it evolved like you wouldn't believe it was a totally different wine. <laughs> so huh. on the subject of wine getting air, this is what made this wine. It, it needed air. Huh. It needed to be, uh, it needed, uh, to be decanted. And uh, it's probably, this is probably one of the best balls of white wine I've had all year. Interesting. But when I first opened it up, it was a dud. Not, not so much. So, wine's a living thing, my friend. Indeed it is. It's a living thing. Indeed so, it is. So, um, Bill, what have you been drinking lately? Um, Besides nothing. beer down at the, uh, taking your son for his practice. That's right. Interesting things at, at, at uh, Russian River. Um, we have a couple of wine clubs we belong to, Pinot producers here, so it's just local Pinot producers that are consistently awesome. Um, the um, and you know nothing out of the you know nothing out of the ordinary in terms of hey go try this bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I did get so I subscribed to, for those of you that don't know. There's a an amazing wine shop here called Bottle Barn. Um, and I subscribe to their, you know, their, uh, their marketing info. And I get this email. I'm sure you probably got it too. I got all excited cause I'm like, I'll spend some money on this cause I've never had this kind of stuff. It'd be great. And it was legendary, rare, Domaine de la Grange de Paray wines. And I'm like, wow, great. This is great. I'm reading it. They've got all this. They're pumping it up. And I'm, and I'm, they're like, you got to get this. It's a great price. Um, and I'm like, okay. I'm scrolling like I am now. First one I hit. 
2018 Domaine de la Grange de Paris Rouge. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to buy any of these wines. Its retail price is $446 on sale at the Bottle Barn for $375. I'm like, all right, well, that's why that one's out. So I keep scrolling. Here's the 17th. No, nope, $375. 18 Blanc, $375. Retail, $543. Jeez. Keeps going. And yeah. it, it the topper, Domaine, 18 Domaine de la Grange de Paray, half uh, liter and a half, 900 retail, on sale for $7.95. Yeah, I, I got that burgundy blast too. I'm just like... <laughs> I was I got all excited. I'm like, oh, this guy's got some like I'm gonna get over there today. And I'm like, well, I'm out. I would spend a couple hundred dollars on a bottle, but three seventy-five. Yeah, Burgundy uh Ouch. Well the the whole thing with the, the Burgundy wine business is just I mean, those wines are incredible, but I mean you're rolling the dice with Burgundy, man. Well that's I mean, it's like it's on sale, Burgundy, 2018. You know, you start Googling the weather over there. What was it like? Um, yeah, anyway, I I got all excited. And, yeah, you, you know, could, you, Burgundy is, uh, that's a rich man's game for sure because you can, um, you can spend three, four hundred bucks on a bottle and it could be a real turkey. Yeah. That's, so, I mean, or well, you it could be just like a, like an experience that you haven't had in years. You know? That's right. Well, you could just convince yourself that, you know, if you don't drink burgundy all the time, that it's like, oh, this is delicious. It's what burgundy is supposed to taste like. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you could fool yourself. You say, yeah. The, the bottle barn has, um, the, the guy that's, that, uh, the, the head wine buyer there, it has, um, since he took over when Ben passed away years ago, it really has hit another gear with their um, with their online presence. And um, that's probably one of the top places to buy wine online. Because, you know, I get the hits. I don't belong. I think they have an app now, and I purposefully didn't sign up for that. But I do get their emails, so when their stuff comes out, you know, yeah, you check it out. Well, I mean, you they, get, they, get, they get pretty good. Yeah. And what happens, I've noticed, is they don't those those when you subscribe and you're on there, they sell out of that stuff pretty fast. Yeah, depending got, on what it is, you got to jump on it. You really, yeah. you really got to jump on it. And the best thing to do if you're if you're in this area is just go over there because you're going to find something that you're oh, not yeah. Yeah. you're not going to find anywhere else, and it's going to be a, a a reasonable deal. I did not realize, so I was in there on a Thursday. I think it was a Thursday. There was a, I needed to go over to other, had other business to do in that area, so I stopped in there. And they were doing tasting, which I, I, oh, yeah. I guess I didn't realize they ever did. Um, yeah, they picked that up again. That was really interesting. And uh, maybe it was a Friday. I think it was a Friday. And so it was close to closing time. It was in the afternoon. I wasn't working that. Didn't need to be on a call that day. So I was over there. And boy, that place was mobbed. Like, I've never seen it that busy. Like, it was hard to find parking on the street, let alone get into the lot. Yeah, I never I never really go there. Um, the only times I go, I'll go, like, typically I'll go Sunday morning. Because they open at 10. So, I mean, you're a true wino if you're, like, in a wine shop at 10 in the morning. Yeah, but that's a, you know, that's a great, that's... But I go there because there's nobody in there. Yeah, there's nobody in there. Yeah. <laughs> but any so, other time you go, it's going to be, it's going to be swamped, you know, it's going to be crazy. So, that's the, you know, and I, you know, I live in the area, so you know, I can, I can just zip over there real quick. And there's, there. there's multiple breweries over there. Um, so, you know, you can hit that up, too. Um, Iron Ox is across the street. Cooperage yep. is like a block down. Moonlight's block, block to the west. Um, you know we're all all good producers. Um, and then we've been we've been tracking the breweries because the food trucks that they have are fairly interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's always fun to do that. Yeah, and it's Barry October. Is, Barry has hit his stride. Uh, last time I was in there. He was walking around, and I said, hey, man, Barry, you're doing a great job of buying these wines. And he looks at me, and he goes, 
He goes, man, there's a lot of wine moving in and out of here these days. That's good. That's Ever since good. they did that online thing, it's like it's crazy. So they've got, they've literally got three people now. They used to just have one person. They've got three people that just their job is just to work their online business. I mean that store is taken off. Yeah, and you need it. You need it because the you have to. If you're if you're trying to get attention on the internet, it changes all the time. It changes all the time. So you got to yep. really be on top of it. Well, I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm, I'm like a part of the, a little bit of part of the wine buying crew because I'll, every once in a while, I'll hit him with something. That's right. And I'll notice, he'll order what I, you know, it's like, hey, hey Barry, I'd like a case of this or whatever. And he'll order it and then I'll notice that he bought some for the store too. So I'm like in my small way, I'm helping stock the store too. <laughs> it's like, hey, that's a good idea. I'm going to get some of that for the store also. So that's, uh, I think we should wrap it up, Bill. We've gone at least an hour. Um, this time, uh, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, I'll actually, get, we'll actually put this one out for you guys. Roger that. Actually hear it. Roger that. And I'll talk about, it. um, I'll, I'll, um, put together a few things. Maybe I'll open up another bottle of this Louis Shea because I do have, um, I do have a couple more bottles and, uh, I'll, uh, I'll decant it. Decanting white wine. I know. Okay. It sounds very, very, uh, very hoity-toity, but uh, it requires uh, it requires decanting to show its true self. It's important. It's important. Well, everyone, if you uh, want to talk to us, we're we are on the interwebs, so you can you can always send us an email at info at vino one hundred one or or Bill at vino one hundred one or Al at vino one hundred one. Um, Al has an awesome Twitter presence and is out there, you know, talking about this, uh, the world of wine. And you can find us at twitter.com slash vino101net. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Yeah, tell a friend. Hey, all the best to all of the people out there that are dealing with the, um, the, the hurricane, uh, wind and uh, rain event and the hurricane. Yeah. Uh, Ian, um, I hope everyone uh, has stayed safe and um, is, um, you know, I know the cleanup is going to be, for some of those areas, it's going to be years, years and years to, to get back to where they were. But uh, all the best to those people. For sure. Cheers. Cheers, everyone.